You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Blackstone Inc. President John Gray speaks with Bloomberg Shanali Basak to discuss the Israel-Hamas war, the current state of inflation, and his commitment to the University of Pennsylvania amongst concerns of anti-Semitic speech on campus. We're all deeply affected by what's happening in the Middle East and as a significant investor in the region and as a person who's concerned about world events, how do you separate the financial interests versus the human toll being taken there? Well, I, I would start, Shanali, uh, by saying our thoughts are with the people in Israel. What happened a couple weeks ago was just horrific in terms of loss of life and kidnapping. Uh, we've got some employees on the ground there. Our thoughts are with them as well and everyone who has family there. And of course, now, as this conflict escalates, we're all concerned about civilians in the region. As you think about it from an investment standpoint, I guess there are a couple implications uh, in the near term. Obviously, it puts some upward pressure on oil prices. You've seen that in the marketplace. Hopefully, that stays contained. Hopefully, this conflict stays very contained. I think the second issue is it just creates greater uncertainty. We now have really two live conflicts, including the situation in Russia and Ukraine. We've got the issues around interest rates as well. And when you think about investing, generally people want more certainty. They want terra firma, and this adds to that environment. But of course, the bigger issue is the human tragedy there, and we're all concerned about that. Now, how are you thinking about the risks associated with your work throughout the Middle East, both your investments and the relationship with large investors, including sovereign wealth funds in Saudi Arabia and Qatar? Yeah, I, I would say for us, we have long-term relationships in the region and around the world, people who have been partners of ours for a long time. Um, uh, you know, when you think about stepping back, what was happening here, there actually was an attempt to normalize relations. It had happened between Israel and the Emirates a few years ago under the Abraham Accords. They felt like um, things were getting closer with Saudi Arabia which would have been a positive, and that very well may have been a catalyst for these terrorist attacks. So I think generally more dialogue, more normalization of relations would have been and, and certainly would be going forward much more positive for the region. I think all of us hope that that happens. Certainly now it's going to be difficult given the current environment. 
Now, the war has also brought tensions to communities in the United States and over at UPenn, where you're a large donor. Many other donors have been pausing their own donations given concerns around anti-Semitic sentiments on campus. Are you considering doing the same? Well, for my wife uh, and me, our focus is really in two areas at Penn. It's on life-saving cancer research at the Basser Center for BRCA. It's also on helping low-income kids here in New York City get access to a world-class education. Those are long-term missions for us. We're going to stay with that. That being said, I think uh, some of my colleagues in the financial field and more broadly have raised some really legitimate concerns about hate speech masquerading as free speech in the context of anti-Semitism on college campuses at Penn and other places. And I think individuals, um, when they say things that dehumanize and talk about the destruction of a one set of people, I think it's important that university leaders really stand up. And my hope here is that there'll be some important lessons from what's happened over the last few weeks. Yeah, the most prominent of those concerns being raised by one of your colleagues in the industry, Apollo CEO Mark Rowan, he went so far as to call for the removal of the university's president and board of trustees chair, Scott Bacht. I mean, do you do you agree with them? Well, as I said, I think Mark I, I think Mark has raised some really important questions and issues. Uh, for me, the university president, um, Liz McGill, I think she's a good person. I don't think she's anti-Semitic. I do think she made some mistakes here, some of which she's acknowledged. But the decision about her future lies with the board of trustees at Penn. Yeah, thank you for asking my questions, John. You know, there's also beyond the war, this is a very tumultuous uh, economic environment as well. Uh, you reported results today over at Blackstone. You're the first of the big private asset managers to do so. And the whole industry is facing a huge slowdown in deals. At what point do these things start to turn around uh, such that profits can be realized at a greater scale? Well, when we look at the quarter, Shanali, we're actually pretty proud because despite the slowdown in transactions and realizations, our distributable earnings were remarkably um, you know, steady based on the fee-related portion of those earnings and the management fees that underlie that. Um, also, I think the most important thing is really delivering for our customers. We did that across the board in the quarter particularly in infrastructure, life sciences, private credit. But to your question, when do deals come back? I think we need some stability in rates. I think the Fed is pretty much done here. They've taken long rates or short rates up quite a bit. I think long rates um, have now moved quite a bit. And so that's going to lead to some tightening here, further tightening. But what investors want, of course, is a bit of stability. And I think ultimately we will find at some point some stability in marketplaces, particularly in treasuries. When that happens, I think you will start to see transactions pick up again. They are at a muted level, but it doesn't stay like that forever. These things are cyclical. And the key with our business model is we're not a forced seller of assets. 
and we have more than 200 billion of dry powder. So we can invest into the dislocated market. And often we do our best work at the times of greatest uncertainty. What does this mean for your approach to credit markets, John? Private credit has been kind of the biggest story of the year. Of course, you run one of the biggest businesses on Wall Street when it comes to private credit. Are you seeing that opportunity expand even further as rates stay volatile? Well, I would say in private credit, the opportunity set is large and it's growing. Uh, today, between corporate, asset-backed, real estate credit, we manage over $370 billion. So it's a significant part of our firm. Obviously, our customers are very interested in getting access to credit. Why? Base rates have moved up a lot. Spreads are wide because banks and other participants are more cautious. And so you can earn a lot lending money today and doing it in what we perceive to be very attractive risk return loan to values below 40% in many cases in direct lending. So you're getting paid equity-like returns for taking debt-like risks. It's true now, I think, in corporate credit, in more asset-backed credit, in real estate. And so I think we'll continue to see more flows there. And if you look at our numbers in the quarter, more than half of the inflows we had in the quarter were around credit. Well, it's interesting. You look at the returns in private credit. You posted 4.6% in private credit. You posted, uh, you know, that's almost double what you're getting in corporate private equity for the third quarter. You know, uh, what do normalized returns look like for the next couple of years in private credit? You have some of the, your industry rivals pitching, uh, you know, double-digit returns in this environment. Does the current um, environment demand some caution in seeking those outsized returns? Well, I think it depends on what you're doing. Uh, if you're obviously a non-investment grade private credit, I do think double digit returns are reasonable given you have short rates at five and a half percent spreads today on direct lending. Uh, it call it 550, 575 over, plus you get a couple points up front. And if you want, you can put a bit of leverage on that. If you're talking about more investment-grade private credit, then I think the returns are in the single digits, but in the higher single digits, just given where base rates have moved to. I think underlying your question is, are investors taking on a lot of risk? And when we look at our portfolio, interestingly, despite all the headlines out there, we've had um, today in our private credit about half of 1% of our loans uh, that are in default, very low, uh, well below the industry averages. And when we look at the picture in the third quarter, just one of our 3,000 borrowers uh, went into default incrementally. So the picture looks good. And the new loans we're making generally because of the high cost of capital are at a low loan to value. If you contrasted that back to 06, 07, when lenders were lending 75, 80%. We sold a business in 07, uh, extended stay hotels where the borrower borrowed 95%. It's a much safer environment. So we think it's an attractive time to be in the credit space. But I would say on the other hand, when you look at equity oriented businesses like private equity, there's also opportunity because prices in many cases are being reset. And there are businesses and sectors where there's strong underlying growth. So I don't think it's all of just one, all credit, 
or all equity. I think in a, an investor wants exposure to both. Now, how do you think about the real estate industry right now as well? You know, there are a lot of concerns. We've talked a lot about commercial real estate. We know that Blackstone has really dealt with a lot of the pains in the office sector early um, before everybody else. Do you still see a lot more pain in commercial real estate ahead, uh, given a lot of these kind of macro changes, given the concerns about maturity walls? Well, I would start with um, two potential or two real headwinds. One is in the office sector, as you rightfully pointed out, an area that is a tiny portion of our exposure, U.S. office. We, we definitely moved ahead of the curve in that area, and that's been one of our great strengths in real estate over time. There, there are some very significant structural headwinds given COVID, given obsolescence. I think that the second issue impacting all of commercial real estate is this rise in cost of capital, and that certainly has an impact in the near term. I think you also, though, have to look a little more broadly. Um, where you invest really matters. So m- the majority of our real estate portfolio is in areas like logistics, student housing, data centers, where cash flow growth is much higher and you're in a better position to absorb some of this higher cost of capital. And then I would point out on the longer term, what we're seeing now is new starts decline pretty significantly, anywhere from 30 to 70% in the third quarter. And that's going to lay the framework for a longer-term recovery in values. But it's fair to say that there are some challenges today in the sector. Yeah, I mean, when you look at your results, almost every business is up, some up double digits, but opportunistic real estate is down about 4.5% on the year. What is driving that, and when do things start to turn around? What's driving that is what we've talked about here, this higher cost of capital, Uh, which impacts cap rates, and that runs through the sector. Interestingly, cash flow growth in most of our assets in real estate have continued to be pretty good. Again, that goes back to the focus we've had over time in areas like logistics, better forms of rental housing, the geographies we've invested, the strength we see in data centers. Um, Overall, cash flow growth has been good. The weakness has been on the multiple side, and that's where you see those headwinds. Hey, John, you know, the other thing about this, too, when you look at the inflation prints, this idea that inflation is still running hot in the United States and really many places around the world, uh, part of that is housing. You're a huge owner of uh, homes in America. Uh, when do rents and uh, housing prices start to cool? So I would say on inflation, the Fed is really having some real success today. Um, We see it in input costs at our companies, which are pretty flat. We see it, the labor market is cooling. We're seeing uh, wages now below 5%, meaningfully down from a year ago. And to your question on shelter costs, those have come down quite a bit. It's really in the data the Fed uses, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which tend to lag. So that's going to be a force of gravitational pull downward. And so I think that's going to come into the numbers over the next six, nine months, and we'll put additional pressure downward on those headline and core CPI numbers. I think that's a positive when we think about inflation, and we'll make it easier here for the Fed to really pause. So you, you seem a little more optimistic about the direction of inflation than you know many out there. 
what does this mean for the direction of interest rates? We've been talking a lot earlier about this idea of a pause or uh, you know, at least stability in rates. How soon do you think that could happen? Well, I, I would agree that I have a little more optimism about the path of inflation, but I also believe the Fed is going to stick at this. So I do think they're going to hold rates higher for longer. The long end has now accepted that. Um, and I think that's going to have the effect of slowing the economy, slowing growth. Um, we look at our companies, they've been very resilient. Revenue growth in the quarter and our private equity portfolio companies was up high single digits. But when we look at their hiring plans, they're much more muted than they were a year ago. So I think where this leads us to is inflation comes down, but also growth comes down. The cost of 8% mortgages, 8% auto loans, that can weigh on the economy. And I think that's the environment we have to invest through. Now, we've endured an inflation shock. We've now endured an interest rate surge. And I think the next step of this is to endure a slower economic picture. We don't see it in like 08, 09 in terms of imbalances, but I think this is coming. And for investors, getting ready for that, I think, is important. And taking a, a view of where the environment is, that's what we do as a firm. It's been one of the reasons why I think we've been able to generate outsized returns for a long period of time. Have you ruled out a hard landing? You know, I, I don't think that's certainly not our central case. Um, given the momentum from the savings consumers have built up, given the strength in energy transition, a huge area of focus for our firm, given what's happening in AI and digital infrastructure, there are some big parts of the economy where there's a lot of investment and growth, in some ways almost regardless of the level of interest rates. Um, and I think that will provide some more ballast. But nevertheless, we do anticipate a slowdown here. That was Blackstone Inc. President John Gray speaking with Bloomberg's Shanali Basik. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.